Welcome to the Baker Tilly U.S. Podcast, an online community developed to connect you to our partners and leaders across the globe. Subscribe today to continue discovering new and unique ways that Baker Tilly can enhance or protect your value as we discuss timely, relevant, and impactful topics. Our current series is specific to real estate professionals. We recognize that the coronavirus is affecting real estate companies and organizations across the world in unique ways. In this podcast, we will speak with Baker Tilly practice group leaders about practical real estate guidance to help you through the next several weeks and to prepare your business and employees to come back strong in the future. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a discussion around a checklist of items that you as an affordable housing developer should be considering now that we're over a month in the shelter at home for most states in the midst of this pandemic. Before we get into these details, we do want to let you know that Baker Tilly on our website, bakertilly.com, we have a full toolbox of resources around COVID-19. So please refer to here often as there are frequent updates. It has information around operations, your people, data and technology, and financial resilience, among other topics. I am Don Bernard, the partner in charge of our multifamily transactions team here at Baker Tilly, and we'll be speaking with Garrett Gibson, a partner of mine on our housing transactions team, where we focus on the entire life cycle of multifamily housing projects. Many of our clients and owners of affordable housing and multifamily housing have been focusing on health and safety of the residents first and foremost, putting together operating procedures for property management staff, and making sure the properties are as safe as possible for residents, and addressing other needs of residents. We have a number of clients with senior properties focusing on food needs and groceries and so forth. After addressing the health and safety of residents and staff, it is imperative to focus on operating results at both your property level as well as your corporate level. And the checklist of items we will discuss addresses this analysis. The events, of course, that are driving the need for the checklist stem from the 22 plus million people who have lost their jobs over the last four weeks the delays in construction from social distancing and some level of supply chain issues, as well as the slowdown in leasing of both new construction projects as well as stabilized properties. We're gonna start with asset management at the property level. With the 22 million plus people losing their jobs, there was a lot of nervousness around rent collections in April. And anecdotally, we're seeing results from a few percent lower collections at senior properties and section eight properties. But family affordable properties, we've seen probably 12 to 20% less collections in April than earlier in the year or 12 months ago. So maybe not as nearly as bad as people thought, but we'll see the future months. I'm going to ask Garrick, uh, turn over to Garrick here. Garrick, how are we seeing property managers working with their residents? And just how should we be analyzing rent collections uh, as owners? Thanks, Don. That's actually a pretty good question. Based on some discussions with several property managers, They've started to set up lines of communication with tenants to assure that tenants understand the current rules and who can apply for unemployment. The definition of who can apply is now very broad and people who formerly would not qualify may now qualify. So good communication on this front will not only assist tenants who are able to receive benefits, but give a clear picture of who will be able to maintain their monthly rent payments. In addition, this communication can shed some light on tenants with temporary financial hardships not covered by unemployment benefits. With these situations, property managers can work with a tenant by setting up possible payment plans for when their situation improves. This is all to create a better information structure to analyze rent collections. Understanding lower May or June rent collections, or even as far out as three months, or even far out if you'd like to go through the end of the year, 
it's basically going to create a great base for running these collection sensitivity models so you can better understand your cash flow. That's some good insight, Garrick. Did we know that even though April collections were better than, than, than projected, we're, who knows where May and June and so forth. So let's know some properties are going to experience cash flow issues, maybe some issues of making their mortgage payments and so forth. We know there's some forbearance programs out there with, with, the, with the agencies, Fannie, Freddie, and HUD. What should you do as a property owner if it looks like there could be cash flow issues on the short-term or even interim-term uh, horizon? Well, once you have your, your sensitivity models with your collections, you know, there are, and you realize you do have a cash issue, there are forbearance programs out there. But before you consider this, I would definitely perform some balance sheet and income state analysis to see if there are any uh, additional options. For example, you might have some reserves which can be used for any shortfalls, albeit typically uh, investor in the projects will need uh, approval to release these reserves. This would be a good time to have those discussions with these investors and figure out if they're willing to allow any, any releases of these reserves to help fund these temporary shortfalls. Um, on the income statement side, I would definitely comb through the operating expenses and figure out if there are some items that can be deferred. You can talk to specific vendors on the list to see what their position is, and, and they might be able to defer some of these operating expenses. You could talk with the taxing authorities and municipalities about potentially deferring all or a portion of the real estate tax payments, for instance, in the interim so that you can improve your, your cash flow projections. If this is exhausted, you know, you always do have forbearance. Um, if, you, if you're going to go this route, I would definitely speak and communicate with your lender and figure out if you qualify for the program first and foremost. And if so, make sure you, you document and understand the terms well, because um, there are several ways that 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 the terms could be structured. So are the balloon payments due at the end of the forbearance terms? Are they going to be paid out over an additional term, such as 12 additional months? Or are those delayed payments added on to the end of your loan and extend your repayment timeframe? So understanding these terms is definitely going to allow you to project the financial impact at the end of the forbearance period, because you could be, you know, in a cash position that won't allow for a balloon payment. So you just need to understand what's going on with the specific programs and how you're going to be, be able to deal with them, uh, given the current situation. Sounds good, Garrick. And, and, and we focus a lot on, you know, stabilized properties and, and cash flow, but we know there's an awful lot of uh, projects that are currently under construction. And obviously that brings its own set of complexities when thinking about timing issues as many, uh, many things are driven off of place and service dates uh, from, from lease up to uh, stabilization and permanent mortgage uh, commencement, if it's a tax credit project, delivery of tax credits. And talking with you know, a number of developers, general contractors and tax credit investors, kind of a, a thought out there is many of our deals are gonna be delayed you know, three to six months just because again of social distancing, even though construction multifamily in most states has been deemed essential just either individual preferences or companies' preferences, not even wanting to put its uh, employees in harm's way, you know, those three to six month delays can definitely create uh, issues um, in, in the numbers of things I discussed from uh, permanent mortgage commencement. Jared, what kind of sensitivity analysis and calculations should developers be looking at for these projects under construction and just beginning lease up? Yeah, so, so far we've, we've focused really on the operations of the properties that are in service or have, you know, finished lease up. But if you're definitely in construction, you would need to look at the development models and try to run sensitivities on all the metrics that are included in the development model. In an affordable housing property, for instance, you're going to have situations where you have a tax credit delivery schedule that 
that you need to maintain uh, based on the assumptions that were there. If you have a three to six month delay in that lease up, well, you're possibly going to have a tax credit delivery and also a downward adjuster. So maybe there's things that you can do to mitigate this. Maybe if you have uh, buildings that you can split into multiple bins, that can help you lease up individual bins faster and possibly avoid 15-year credit issues. Also, in the development budget, there could be additional construction contingencies that you had in there, for for instance, to, to boost basis. But if you have enough eligible basis on these affordable projects, maybe you can use those to repurchase uh, or repurpose to lease up reserves to assist with the, the marketing and lease up dollars. In addition to these delay, delayed lease up, this is also going to extend uh, the time that your construction loan is outstanding. So you could very well be backing up into situations where your construction loan needs to be extended. Are there fees involved with the extensions? Are you going to have uh, cash to help cover any additional extra interest on these jumbo construction loans that are outstanding for this additional term? In addition to in just interest on the construction loan, there could be construction costs related to delays, such as extra general conditions from remobilizing and so forth. So how are you going to cover these costs? And there could be unintended consequences because of this. If you have additional construction costs, such as interest and general conditions that are capitalized in your asset, if you're doing a tax-exempt 4% bond deal, you have to pass a 50% test, and it's basically if you have additional costs that are going in depreciable basis, you might have had a cushion there to meet that 50% test, but if you add additional costs to that depreciable basis, you might eat into that cushion and put your credits at risk. So properly running sensitivity analysis and testing three to six month delays and see where you might end up is imperative. Garrett, now that um, you know, we've really addressed you know, stabilized properties, We've addressed properties, you know, under construction and so forth. So we've really the property level. Now I'm going to switch it more to the kind of the macro or kind of the, you know, kind of the parent or development entity, you know, from obviously from, you know, we're having maybe some cash flow issues that stabilize and operating properties. So there's not going to be that cash flow to pay deferred developer fee or incentive management fees up to your, your parent level for construction projects under construction. If you're delayed three or six months and you need those next equity contributions to make developer fee payments to again cover overhead and so forth. Those could be delayed three or six months or longer. Here, what, what should we be looking at or developers be looking at at kind of the, the corporate level to kind of look at cash flow, managing cash flow and other ideas around cash flow? Well, and I think it sort of lends itself to the discussion we just had. I would still keep running sensitivity on the development models. Uh, because these tax credit delivery delays are going to create adjusters that are going to be handled at the corporate level. You, you mentioned delays in developer fees. If you were thinking of cash payments coming in, that's what the development company is using for its operations as well and possibly funding these adjusters down on the project or basically getting shortfalls of equity, which in turn is, is not paying off these deferred developer fees in the time frame in which you expect it. Um, this extra interest on the construction loans, the developer might have to put in, you know, money to the projects in order to fund that. I would definitely keep running those sensitivity models on there. I'd also try to talk to your equity investors. I know we mentioned that before, but there's really no real answer yet for how all of this will flush out with your investors and how they feel about it. But having those discussions now to try to help alleviate some of the pain of what we're going through right now, and hopefully it's just temporary, uh, to get their sort of take and understand where they stand so at least you know you can count certain things out or or include certain 
factors that they might add in here to give you a little bit of relief. I know that many in the industry have applied for programs that are out there, like the Payroll Protection Program. This is fully subscribed by April 16th, but there is still talk about adding more to this popular program from the CARES Act. There's also additional programs that are likely rolling out of every week we're hearing uh, something, or even if it's just ideas of what can be done. So one thing, though, if you're going to receive anything from, from these programs, such as the Payroll Protection Program, is to make sure that you're in compliance with it. Because if you receive one of those loans, you, you got to start half planning of, on whether or not you're going to be in compliance uh, so that this loan can be forgiven. Other things, too, if you're trying to increase cash flow, you know, I don't know if it would be a good or bad thing, but, I mean, interest rates are pretty much back down at, at some of the lowest levels. So if you're looking to free up some liquidity and cash flow, I would definitely look into your ability to refinance. That's definitely a plus. Very good. And Derek, a lot of really good ideas to consider. You know, the list Derek and I discussed are items that are imperative asset management steps that you should be working now with your properties and your global entity level. Looking forward, there's significant discussion in our industry around the fourth round of pandemic legislation and the the discussion specifically around, as Garrett mentioned, more money for the payroll protection program, possibly funded as early as this week, dollars specific to rental assistance, not just for currently subsidized properties, but other rental properties, moving back many deadlines within the Section 42 industry, things like the 10% test and place and service dates. And many of you have been focused on fixing the 4% rate at a fixed uh, 4%. Derek and I thank you for taking your time to listen to us today, and we'll keep updating you about considerations for our industry as we all work to not only get through this time, but come out stronger, as we know there's going to be significant need to produce quality, affordable housing. As noted, please check out BakerTilly.com frequently for all the latest COVID-19 resources. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly U.S. wherever you get your podcast.